Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. It is back to school time, but it's also hurricane season and surprising tragedy in the Western North Carolina mountains. But as we now unfold toward the fall, what about businesses? What about the increasing political debate that happens? And what about how chambers of commerce factor into that? And what about business in general? We will start it all beginning now. Stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Aaron Nelson from the Chamber for a Greater Chapel Hill Carborough, Pat Kale from the Union County Chamber of Commerce, Bob Morgan of the South Carolina Chamber of Commerce, and James McQuilla from the Orangeburg County Chamber of Commerce. Well, here we are in the middle of back to school season, the end of the summer and a thousand other reasons. Uh, lady, gentlemen, welcome back to the dialogue. Uh, Jim, good to have you the, for, for the first time. But let's stick. Pat, I'm going to start with you. Uh, not, not very much of a, a business question, but the tragedy unfolding in Haywood County, North Carolina this past week around what was going to be a hurricane ended up being a, a tropical, a deadly de tropical depression, Fred. You know, in the Carolinas, we're ready for hurricane season, no doubt, but it's usually a full frontal assault or something that, that glancingly comes in. And Fred snuck around to our flank and devastated Canton and other towns in northwestern North Carolina at this point, more than 30 dead. And I'm not I'm not trying to be morbid, uh, but Pat, is there when when a small rural county that may not be at the top of everyone's economic development list or important place to, to, to visit? gets devastated like this, does there need to be another type of plan and response for lawmakers and leadership in general? Absolutely. First of all, our condolences to the many who are suffering loss of family, loss of loved ones. It's just a terrible tragedy. Absolutely. I mean, we just, it's short and sweet. We have to take care of communities like that. When something like this happens, we have a responsibility and there's no doubt we need to step up. We, we just have to pull together. Yep. James, James, what do you think? I mean, you've been through this and most recently in Orangeburg. Right. Well, again, I, I think that, that leadership matters. Okay. Uh, and so uh, the majority of people in your community during times of crisis, they're looking for leaders and they're expecting those that they've given that title to, to come together, come up with a, 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 a some type of solution and to actually uh, make things happen. Uh, and so, you know, regardless of what the tragedy is, if you've accepted the, the, the mantle of, of leader in your community, then you have to be prepared for these specific times to be 
uh, active. Uh, and so, yes, we whether you're with the public safety or with the school district or with the faith community or in the business community, um, the, the community at large will feel better about what they're going through when the leaders work together and, uh, and, and indeed show the leadership that they expect. Bob, uh, let's bring you and Aaron to do this, and let's take it. Let's 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 take a little bit different tact. Uh, it's back to school season, and not surprising, there are huge debates around wearing masks, about mandates about wearing masks, about superintendents versus principals versus governors versus municipalities. Um, in, in North Carolina, Transylvania, there was a leader in public education that said at this point around the mask debate that the harm to the social fabric of society is more damaged than the actual public health risk. Number one, would you agree with that? And number two, is there an, is there an appropriate fair policy that we need to be unfolding here? Chris, the divisiveness around this subject is frankly puzzling. And um, you know what should be a public health issue uh, has turned into a, you know, a political debate and issue. Um, I think it's real simple. It's really not so much about masks uh, it's about vaccines. Um, we've been through the start of this pandemic. We did not have vaccines as a weapon. We saw the damage that the, the, the COVID did to our economy and to businesses. We're now facing a spike in that. We, we know this playbook and we have an additional weapon. And what we're seeing nationally, we're starting to see it here, uh, not just the military, but uh, Nephron, for example, of a pharmaceutical company, mandating vaccines amongst their workforce. Um, uh, you know, masks are kind of secondary to um, the fact that we can get vaccines, and we know that when we reach herd mentality, uh, herd herd uh, immunity, that um, that that's how we're going to beat, we're going to win this war and this battle. So um, I think the question really has now come down to employers. Um, we're going to see uh, uh, vaccine mandates, uh, particularly once the FDA gives its final approval. Um, and, um, and that's just going to become a reality of our, our economy. Aaron, how do you, especially in Chapel, not especially, but in Chapel Hill and Carborough, Wake, Orange Counties, Chatham Counties, how does this debate play out between the fear around wearing masks or being compelled to wear masks? And again, what, what's fair policy, as Bob talked about? I'm like Bob, I'm confused why this is so complicated or so controversial. I think everybody should put their mask on and everybody who can get vaccinated should vaccinate. But we're gonna show by example, we're requiring all of our employees to vaccinate as a condition of employment at the chamber. We're gonna require all people be vaccinated as a condition of participating in chamber programming. We're encouraging everybody to follow the rules that we have in Orange County and Durham County and Wake County and Chatham County around us. You are required to wear a mask indoors and putting a little bit of cloth over your face in order to keep from passing a disease that could kill somebody is, I think, a reasonable request. Um, some folks say, well, this is political. Well, so were lots of things. So was the civil rights movement. So was efforts to all sort to make big change and the business community should play a lead role in helping us get through complicated things. And on this one, the business community should be clear, mask up, vax up, uh, and we're gonna make it through this. Oh, open to any of you, how are, how are, and I know Bob, you already waited in on this, but how are businesses responding? Do you see a different way businesses are responding to this? The Nephron was a great example, but, but James, what about down in Orangeburg? What about Union County, Pat? Well, well, go ahead, James. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'll defer. <laughs> well, I was going to say uh, a lot of our small businesses, uh, you know, I'd say from what I've seen, about 75 percent 
have started again to ask that you wear a mask when you come in. Some, you know, a very small percentage, and I'm just, you know, kind of guessing there about 25%, but it's a very, really small percentage uh, that don't have a sign on their door that says, please put your mask on. Um, they're not the mask police, but they do remind people to do that. I think it's the responsible thing to do. I think the messaging around why we should wear masks uh, has been wrong, okay? Uh, and when the messaging is wrong, you do get a debate uh, that spills into an area where it's probably not, you know, not warranted. And that's in the political arena. Wearing masks is not political. It is a, uh, it's a, it's, it's a debate regarding uh, health and it is an effective way uh, it's not the best way vaccines are, but it's an effective way to help control the spread of, of COVID-19. And if we stick to the right messaging, I think people will be more willing to accept the fact that this is a necessary thing that we need to do in order to, to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. Great point, James. And I think we all agree with, with two things here. One, it is not political. This is a health. It's all about the health and, and well-being of our community. And in the most important thing I can say is to those who are who are bogged down in this divisive political mire that we're in is that the last thing I think any business wants is where we were uh, March of 2020, where we were shut down in, in our businesses from, from a health perspective as well as a business perspective. We cannot go there again. And we have tools. We have tools. Well, but, but how, and this is again, open question to anyone here. How much of this is, is COVID compliance fatigue? That a collective groan that now we've got the Delta variant. Maybe now there's a, a thing called the Lambda variant. Is this, this idea that people just don't want to do it anymore? I think there's some of that. And our job is to encourage people to soldier through this. I'm sure people have got tired of lots of things. World War II was really long. So was the Great Depression. So it was a host of challenges that we face, but you've just got to screw up the courage and the gumption and get back at it. And I think our job as chambers to encourage that. Um, some people say, well, I don't want to be required to wear a mask. We're saying you're not required to wear a mask. You're just required to wear a mask and go in a restaurant. Um, you're not required to wear a mask. You're just required to wear one if you're going to go to school. You don't have to vaccinate your kids, turns out, but you do if you want to send them to public school. And so um, I think we've gotten confused. It's not a requirement. It's just a requirement to participate in certain things. Uh, and, and we are hopeful that school districts will continue uh, to, to put reasonable measures like masking. I think it'll help us shut this thing down faster. Uh, Can I, Bob, after, go ahead, please. I'm gonna interject very quickly. Yeah. You know, it's been a perfect storm. It's been a perfect nasty storm in that uh, uh, we are so divisive in our country anyway, and, and we've already been ha having those issues that when this came about, it became another issue to divide us instead of bringing us together. So it was just a, a, a perfect storm that folks could somehow decide to make this, this uh, uh, public health issue another way for us to be divided. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Jim. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, Bob, South Carolina Governor McMaster was one of the first governors in the country this earlier this summer to sunset, uh, my term, uh, sunset federal employment, unemployment benefits. Um, it was met with some praise, but also with a, a little bit of headwind there. How has that worked out so far? And especially given that now federal benefits are extended 
or have been extended to uh, mid-October anyway. But are, are you is South Carolina starting to see the the benefit or the downside of that? Well, our un, we're seeing the benefit. Our unemployment rate is significantly lower than the national average. Uh, the next set of numbers that come out are, are going to affirm that even more so. Uh, I can tell you, it's been universally. Um, praised amongst the business community. South Carolina has a persistently low workforce participation rate. And, um, you know, it's a rational choice uh, that uh, people make that if the government is going to pay me more money mm -hmm. to not work than to work, um, that's a rational choice. And um, uh, many have taken that. I've been asked the question, does that suggest that people are lazy? I really don't think they are. I think the South Carolina workforce is incredibly productive. But again, it's a rational choice. And I think a lot of these people um, have taken the benefits um, and they're still doing other work. They're probably doing it offline. And uh, so um, uh, we're seeing the benefits and, and long term, uh, you know, we needed those benefits when the jobs went away. But the fact is today we have over 100,000 jobs that are unfilled. We have 107,000 people who are on unemployment. Uh, there are jobs that are out there. And so uh, everything we can do to encourage people to get back into the workforce um, is needed. I'm sorry, Bob, finish I mean, It's not just cutting off the benefits. It's uh, There are programs coming out of state government through our Department of Employment and Workforce. Um, they're very proactively trying to match people with uh, the jobs that are out there, proactively uh, paying people for six weeks of certification through our technical college system to match them with the jobs that are there. Aaron, Pat, how do you how do you when you hear Bob talking about that in North Carolina does not have that policy, the government master set up. How, how does that how does that wash over you? Well, I'll tell you, excuse me, Aaron, but I'll tell you in Union County, we as all of our brothers and sisters throughout North Carolina in our country, we have so many jobs to fill. And, and so when I hear this, I imagine there, there are Union County businesses who are saying, yes, let's get busy. It, it is a totally different situation than where we were when this started. We, had, we didn't have jobs available. We were, did have layoffs. We needed that help. But that time has passed. There are opportunities uh, regarding uh, technical skills, regarding uh, skill upskilling. We have opportunities for our population to go back to work in better jobs, you know, there is not an industry. We have a very strong manufacturing base here in Union County. Whether you're talking to a large manufacturer, a small one, you're talking to someone on Main Street who owns a small business, the fact is that they cannot find workers and it's a huge economic impact. So to hear that we're encouraging people, people who need help still need help, but we are encouraging those who can, let's go back to work and let's get this economy going again, right? Aaron? I, I agree with Pat and Bob on uh, that the folks were making early on a decision to receive benefits rather than to go to work. When we do the math right now, if every unemployed person went to work, we'd still have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of open jobs. So folks are sitting around just wishing, boy, if we would only end these benefits, we're going to just be smooth sailing again. That's not the case. We're hearing challenges from child care to a host of other things. They're taking care of a grandma who's no longer in the elder care facility because of COVID and other challenges. A national Public Radio, uh, WNC did a great story on the Rocky Mount Chamber of Commerce yesterday about how child care is the strategy that they're working on. They even interviewed, it's a 24-hour child care facility taking care of third shift workers mm -hmm. so that those folks can go to work. School starting again, 
and why we have to keep people in school, which is why we need to mask. But school starting again should be one of the best things to happen, um, helping workers, uh, particularly women who left the workplace, return to work. When we talk about those basic needs like childcare, Aaron, you, you, you also can't help but think about housing. And, and, and especially in markets like Charleston and Charlotte and Raleigh and, and Green in the upstate and in places that the markets are so hot, good thing and bad thing, best of times, worst of times, right? But, but, but it also does to bring this up, up, this idea about evictions and about those that can't afford to keep up with the new housing. What are the chamber's roles? What is an executive, what is your role? to help alleviate or lead or, 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 or maybe fashion policy around how housing should be or how it is going forward. Any of you, please. In our organization, workforce housing and affordable housing has long been a priority. We're starting to see that come up in Wake County and Raleigh Chamber and others. We cannot attract a workforce if those folks cannot afford to live locally. And so setting clear goals about what workforce housing, working with local government on whether it's going to be bond funding or employer-sponsored housing or creative solutions about publicly owned land. But housing as a uh, a requirement for folks to live in your community, or you face the long commutes. Uh, but even you know, uh, we got to. I think that housing will be a priority for us, and the chambers need to to step up, sit at that table, and help lead in that space. Bob Charleston's the hottest housing market in the country, if not one. It's number two. I mean, how how do you lead there? Well, it's not just Charleston. It's Myrtle Beach, and it's it's Greenville as well. I want to go back to Aaron's comments. He's absolutely right. If everybody unemployed went to work, we would still have jobs going unfilled, which leads me to the conversation around immigration policy um, in the country. We're very fortunate in the Sun Belt that we're attracting population, but the fact is, as a country, we're not having enough children. Uh, we've slowed uh, immigration, uh, and uh, I've, I've talked to major manufacturers across the board they say that E-Verify took away some of their best workforce. Um, and so um, finding some kind of coherent national immigration policy that allows our population to continue to grow, it brings in people who are willing to do the jobs that many of us who are already here are not willing to do, has to be a part of the national dialogue. Fair enough. James, in Orangeburg County, housing may not be hot as it might be in the upstate but it still has to be maybe even more critical. Do you get that sense? And, and again, what's your role? What's business, what's leadership's role in Orangeburg? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, we have a huge housing shortage and it's for a lot of different reasons. And a lot of it goes to utilities and, and water, uh, infrastructure. Um, it's, it's somewhat been neglected for a while. Uh, we're starting to uh, put uh, uh, additional monies there. Uh, and so we've actually seen a loss in our population over the last 20 years. But there seems to be an expansion on the horizon because we're, again, we're in the center of a lot of growth. Lexington is growing towards Orangeburg. Charleston and Somerville are growing towards Orangeburg. And in order for us to, to meet that growth, we have to put money in infrastructure um, uh, for, for homes to be built. And we're, and we're looking to do that right now. Uh, however, uh, going back again to policy, uh, you know, we, we have ways for um, uh, folks who aren't able to pay their, uh, their, their rent um, to, to make that happen. But I, I think that uh, setting that up with the federal government, they weren't able to anticipate all of the, all of the problems that can happen. And, and we all know 
that for every uh, action, uh, there's an opposite and equal reaction. The problem is sometimes that opposite reaction is another problem. And so you create, you're trying to fix a problem, but then you create a problem. And that's happened because there's money available to pay rent uh, for those who uh, aren't able to pay it because of COVID, but it doesn't seem to be getting to um, the, the the those who who are who are home you know the the those who own homes that are renting them and and, and those in, in the apartment uh, uh, management and that kind of thing. So we need to uh, we we need to be able to work with business owners who are in real estate. Uh, and I hear a lot from those who who own multiple homes in Orangeburg or or or, or, or uh, duplexes or apartment complexes and things like that because they're shouldering the the, the brunt of of the fact that they're not able to meet their financial needs when when the money's not coming in. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Affordable housing is is so important. And here in Union County, as you know, we're the tail of two counties, right? The western part very much feels it's a part of Charlotte and the average housing prices has skyrocketed in that area. Eastern part, very much more rural and, and, and more uh, challenged economically. So it, it is a key role for, for us as a chamber to, to step up and, and lead that. And there are uh, community leaders that when you start talking, quote, affordable housing, they get very nervous and they're very concerned. So workforce housing, if that's a term you like better, so be it. But the truth of it is we have to have housing that the people who do the work here in our community, those who are in public service, those who teach, those who are in the healthcare, who are doing, uh, who are working here in our county have to have some place to live. And that is ultra important to us if we're going to continue to meet the needs of our, our community. So it is a role that the chamber has to play. Well, so, and Pat, not, not to pick on you, but I, I know you know okay. that and you articulate it well, mm -hmm. but is the dialogue different now? Is there a sense, is there a greater sense of urgency around tactics to, to ameliorate the problem or attempt to fix the problem? I think, you know, it goes back to the things that we've been talking about today, the divisiveness among all the conversations we're having here today. All of that has to be set aside, and it's very difficult because we're more divided than we've ever been as a country, as a community, uh, at whatever level you're talking about. But the truth of it is, until uh, we can get that sense of urgency to uh, Aaron's point, childcare, I mean, there are about five key issues that, that unless we find some resolution at the local level, um, I, we are going to continue to um, flounder about, if you will, uh, to, to really get our economy going again. We're, you know, we're facing some issues. One of them, again, transportation. When we're talking about housing, commuting, well, isn't transportation in North Carolina one of the biggest issues that we're facing as well? So we can't have people commuting back into Union County because the transportation isn't working. So I think there are about five or six just key issues that we have to just figure out that we can't continue to talk on two opposite sides. We've got to come together and find resolution that we can live with. That we can live with. Maybe it's not perfect. It's not the perfect solution for me or for you, but the fact is we have to find solutions we can live with that meet the needs of our community during this incredibly challenging time. I, I wish we had more time to unpack the idea about transportation. We don't. We're, we got about five minutes left. Bob, the, um, it's, it's, it's no coincidence that the census uh, data uh, has just been released. And South Carolina is in the process of redistricting. Compare, not compare and contrast that. Bob, was there anything from census that surprised you? And then the knock-on, the second knock-on would be, where is the redistricting process? 
So no, no real surprises. We Two things are happening. The northern half of the country is moving to the Sun Belt. That trend continues. North Carolina going to get a new congressional district. South Carolina did not, but we most certainly will 10 years from now with the growth that we're seeing. The second thing that the numbers affirmed, people are leaving the rural parts of our country to move to the urban and suburban areas. So um, that's exactly what we're seeing here in um, South, South Carolina. Um, redistricting our legislature, our, our official formal legislative session ended uh, earlier this summer, uh, but they're coming back in September um, to redistrict. Uh, and so um, we'll see that process play out this fall. Uh, Aaron uh, might give you the last word here because we are running out of time, less than two minutes. Uh, the, the, the census for North Carolina uh, showed a couple things, and I know you've, you've looked at it. It showed that, that metros around the metros of Charlotte and the Triangle of Raleigh grew pretty substantially while the, uh, the rural cores went down. But also the demographics, interestingly enough, um, African-Americans, uh, Caucasians actually stayed flat or went down slightly, Latinx and non-white Asians went up. Uh, any surprises, was that a surprise or any other surprises for you? For us in the triangle, Asian population growth has been one of the fastest growing populations that now outpaces uh, Latino population, Latinx population growth in Orange County. Uh, Chatham County doesn't see much of that, but in Wake and Durham, we're, we're a great deal of in-migration for uh, jobs uh, coming to us from Asia. And I think we'll continue to see it's going to get more and more diverse. Our job as chambers is to do some truth telling, to share real information, to give folks accurate data about what's happening and to help the business community prepare uh, for the changes that are on their way. Okay, guys, that'll be the last word. Thank you, uh, Aaron. Thank you, Bob. Nice to see you. And by the way, Bob, congratulations on the new job for the South Carolina Chamber. I think certainly well-deserved. And there's a, a lot of excitement across the Palmetto State on that. Uh, uh, Jim, James, nice to see you. Please come back to the program. Hope we didn't scare you off. And Pat, always nice to see you. Thank you all. Until next week, I'm Chris William. If you have any questions or comments or would like to watch any of our programming, carolinabusinessreview.org. Until next week, we hope your safe return to school. Uh, thank you for watching. Uh, take care next week. Bye. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.